My name is David. I'm alcoholic. Hi. And thank you, Leland. Leland and I have made a number of 12-step calls together. And that's really... It's been awfully good for me. Leland and I have driven around L.A. County on, often on Sunday afternoons to go see doctors who are uh, in trouble or in hospitals. And uh, that's really been a, a joy. In making 12-step calls and meeting newcomers to the program, I think, is a wonderful way of sustaining ourselves. But in that process of driving from my place to Leland's and then off to some hospital which may be an hour away, Leland and I have shared an awful lot of ourselves with each other. And we have shared those, really those deepest spiritual feelings between each other. Um, the kind of thing that one really doesn't even ordinarily share in a, in a meeting. Which has been one of the gifts of the program for me has been the freedom to get in touch with my own real feelings. Um, anyway, what it was like, well, it was awful. <laughs> uh, but it was okay before I started drinking. In fact, uh, life for me was just fine when I was a kid, when I was growing up. Uh, life was um, was just, it, it was okay. When I drank or used drugs, it, um, in my attitude toward myself and toward the world, it really deteriorated. And I find in recovery, I'm slowly returning to what I felt like before I ever started drinking. It's nearly 11 years, and I'm still not back to what I was before I began drinking. I have not yet recovered. It's getting better, but uh, I grew up in Dixon, Illinois, and it was uh, thrilling to to hear last night another physician who is living and working in Dixon uh, to come to the program. When I was a kid growing up, uh, of course, back in those days, in the 30s and 40s, life was pretty simple before television, and I grew up in a big, loving family, and there weren't any alcoholics in my immediate family. I never saw alcoholism or addiction as a kid, but genetically it was it was there. A couple of generations before me, my, my people had stopped drinking because of what they had seen in generations before that. But by the time our generation came along, we sort of forgot the tribal experience of the past. And my generation drank again. I'm one of seven kids, and four of us are alcoholic. Two of us are sober in the program. One is just trying to make it now, and another one, another one needs it. As a kid growing up, N nothing happened during my childhood that I can blame being alcoholic on. The, it, I, I really had about as good a childhood as a person could have. And as a kid, I felt good about being me. 
I didn't really feel like my case was that much different than anybody else's. I felt comfortable. The, when I was 16, my father died suddenly, and I was the oldest kid at home. My mother became non-functional after he died. <clears throat> she had what my wife refers to as a high-class nervous breakdown. <laughs> and 30 years later, when I got to the program and took her to meetings, it turned out that she was taking uh, Librium. And she, I think in retrospect, she feels that she developed the low-dose diazepam syndrome. She was 70 when she started to go to meetings with me. And the next 10, and when she went to meetings a little bit, Al-Anon or AA, she, the message that she heard was rejoice, be free, enjoy life, be grateful. She stopped taking pills and her life just blossomed. And she's now in her 80s. It's been just wonderful to see my parent bloom and enjoy life and relax. It's been just wonderful. And it's one of the results of, of the program. But when, when my father died, she uh, was incapable of functioning. And in retrospect, I can see that I played the role of the family hero, if you will, as people talk about in the program. But I wasn't aware of it. That alcoholic ego hadn't expanded yet. You know, I, I didn't realize that I was being a good guy. <laughs> I, I just did what was in front of me. And uh, it, it, uh, there wasn't anything special about it at that time. But things really did. Uh, I had a lot of responsibility and had to grow up very quickly. Uh, it, and, and it was okay. I went to college at Notre Dame where I started drinking. And I started drinking not for any particular reason, but just because it was there and everybody else drank. I drank maybe two or three beers max, maybe two or three times a week. And within a few months, I was alcoholic. I had had a, a real personality change. I became fearful and terribly compulsive. I started making lists of things that I should do. And I had never done that before. I became terribly afraid of failure, afraid of something, and I couldn't figure out really, really what it was that I was afraid of even. And I became negative and began to project negativity into the institution I was in. I didn't like Notre Dame. I didn't like pre-med. I didn't like myself. And I began to feel inadequate. And I hadn't felt that way before. I didn't know what was wrong. I went to get psychiatric assistance. Uh, pills were prescribed. They made me worse. I quit taking them. And I was in a just a downward emotional spiral. And it kept getting worse. My own internal spirituality got all screwed up at that time also. Uh, and one day I was, um, one night I felt really badly, fearful, inadequate, projecting negatively into the future, um, just 
just a whole ball of alcoholic sort of negative feelings. And I wandered over to the church on the campus at Notre Dame, and it was this yellow, ugly, neo-Gothic kind of structure. And it looked to me like it was decaying. And I walked inside, and I saw all these angels and saints and all on the ceiling, and they were decaying, and bits of plaster were falling off, and it wasn't there for me. <laughs> and uh, I really felt alone and isolated. And I walked down along the, the lake, and this was probably in the middle of the night, and I had what, a, again, in retrospect, was a, a sort of spiritual experience. Uh, I became aware of the presence of the love of my higher power. And it sort of blew my mind apart. And for reasons that I don't understand, I stopped drinking at all, but I never made any connection. And I got better. Emotionally, I got better, but it took a couple of years to return to what I had felt like before. I thought that I had had some kind of depressive reaction, but I didn't really understand that because those things are usually running families and there wasn't any of that in my family. I, I really, I just didn't know what had happened. I went on to medical school at Northwestern and I felt fine all the way through medical school, but I was always sort of waiting for the other shoe to fall. <laughs> I came out to California and interned at the county and then took uh, residency training in gastroenterology and internal medicine at UCLA. And I drank a little once in a while, but wasn't, uh, I, alcohol didn't do anything really good for me. I, I sort of didn't like how I felt after drinking. And I was also a cheap drunk. A drink or two was all I needed, and I would really feel grossly different. Uh, I got married and had three children. I got drafted and sent over to Southeast Asia. My wife, was a drinker, and she became clearly alcoholic as time went on. Uh, I couldn't stand to go to bed with her at night after she'd been drinking. And the cure for that was to me to take a drink before we went to bed, and then everything was fine. And within a couple of months of starting that, I had the same personality change that I had when I was a kid in college. I became depressed. And I thought, well, you know, Jesus, uh, part of that time I was in Vietnam. And I thought anybody would be depressed in Vietnam. <laughs> and I became scared again and became very compulsive and started making lists of things. Everything would be all right if I just do everything that was on the list. <laughs> and the... That illness progressed. I drank a little more and got into the habit of drinking nearly every day. Uh, when I got drafted, I was doing basic science research. I loved that, and I was gifted at it. But when I got out of the service, I went into private practice because I didn't feel adequate to go back to doing what I'd been doing very well. <laughs> and I think that was just the... In retrospect, I think it was just the way alcohol affected me. I drank and practiced medicine, never felt adequate, did all the things that we do to feel better about ourselves. You know, if only 
I got promoted at UCLA, or if only I had better associates, or if only we wrote one more article on something. And none of those things worked. Then in 1970, I was, 1971, I was in an automobile accident. It did not have to do with alcohol, um, although I had had a drink before that, and had I not had a drink, I might have been more defensive and I might not have gotten hit. But I, I, who knows? I, I was really rather badly injured and had multiple surgeries, and for the next six years I, I lived in a wheelchair. I practiced uh, gastroenterology during that time, except when I was having surgeries. My drinking tapered off and stopped because alcohol wasn't doing good stuff for me. I'd get euphoric for a little bit, and then I'd feel badly. And it didn't take much alcohol to do that. I I was also taking drugs. I was taking Indocin and intermittent courses of steroids. Uh and other drugs. I had a lot of pain. I began taking pain pills, and I didn't want to get addicted to anything, so I'd switch them around. <laughs> it was real easy to have them prescribed, and the, the only thing curious about my use of drugs, I think, was that it was in low dose, but my mother had a low-dose diazepam syndrome, and I was never a heavy drinker, and Part of the mechanism of my denial was I couldn't be alcoholic or I couldn't really have a drug problem because I take about a quarter of the prescribed dose about half as often it was as it was prescribed. So that I couldn't possibly be dependent on drugs. But I did take stuff every day. I took sedatives at, at night to relieve pain so I could sleep. And I used alcohol for a while as a pain-relieving drug, and it was wonderful. It worked. It worked better than anything else. My problem was I couldn't remember anything that happened after I'd have a drink or two. <laughs> My blackouts were so complete that I wouldn't remember it. <laughs> um, ph physically and emotionally, I kept getting worse. And I, I had one operation after another. And I did very poorly with the anesthetics. Each anesthetic was like a huge drunk, in a way. Uh, I would feel really badly dysphoric and confused and disoriented and, and awful for a few days after each surgery. And then it would be a couple of weeks before my mind had really cleared. And I, I, didn't have, I didn't have any idea about that, that that might be related to, uh, to the syndrome of chemical dependency. In... Uh, during this time, my wife's alcoholism progressed. My marriage began to fall apart. And I met a girl by the name of Alanon Sue who worked at Brotman. She was an electron microscopy technician. And she I thought she was the most attractive person I'd ever met. And I was attracted to her program. She... She and I drank coffee or managed to get together and chat every day for a couple of years before I started going to meetings. And my initial introduction to the program was through Al-Anon. I did everything that crazy people do to try and get their wife sober. And uh, n none of it worked. 
One night, she and I went to a party, and for no reason, I had a, a drink. And then had a tremendous compulsion to go get another drink. And I hadn't had a drink for maybe a year before that. I went and got another drink and felt euphoric for a couple of minutes and felt good, and then began to feel dysphoric. The same negative feelings, the same fearful stuff, the same awful feelings of inadequacy, and began projecting my negative feelings into other people, and I was aware of it. And it was perfectly obvious it was an adverse reaction to alcohol. But I had a tremendous compulsion to go get another drink, and I did. Uh, I had four drinks that night, and that was a lot for me. I got drunk and delusional and crazy, and uh, on the way home, smashed up the car. Uh, it took that to let me see that I had a problem with alcohol myself. I, a couple of days later, I went to an AA meeting. And I went to an AA meeting to find out if I might be alcoholic. Because if I was an alcoholic, life had, was so physically painful and it was so much shit, I, I thought, you know, I've had enough of this crap. <laughs> and I'd be, like other doctors, I thought that uh, it would be okay to commit suicide by injecting something that wouldn't be found, you know, commit suicide and not get caught. <laughs> um, fortunately, I went to an AA meeting. It was that there were a couple of early speakers, and I didn't identify with them at all. And then a dentist got up and told my story the same feelings and the same negativity and the same rather low-dose experience and the same suicidal ideas. And while he was speaking, uh, I had a, a feeling that there was hope. And that was such a strange new feeling to me. I could never remember having felt anything like it before. And it, it just shocked me. Uh, one of the characteristics of drugs in me, it destroys my innate spirituality. It just kills part of my head. The, in the process of, of using, I lost all contact with, with God. And I, I lived as an atheist, as a practicing, functioning atheist, sort of. Uh, the concept of a higher power became ridiculous. And at that first meeting, that experience, that feeling of hope was so real that I remember reaching in my pocket and pulling out a checkbook and looking at the numbers in it. And I thought, now that's, those things are real. But compared to that awareness of hope, those numbers in the checkbook were just an abstraction. That, that feeling of hope in AA was the realest feeling that I ever had, and it it just blew my head apart, and it hasn't gotten back together yet. <laughs> that was in October of 75, and when I first heard people talk about not drinking and the, their, their experiences with alcohol, I knew that I was alcoholic, and I knew that I wasn't anything else but alcoholic. 
And I knew that the psychobabble that I'd heard as a kid and at times afterward was just so much nonsense. Um, it was also obvious to me that the treatment of the disease of alcoholism was AA. When I was a kid growing up in Dixon, there was a recovering alcoholic guy there who sort of started AA in that community in about 1940. And he was a pillar of the community and a highly respected guy, and he was active in the program. I didn't learn anything about alcoholism or about AA going to medical school or in residency training, but I had seen it as a kid. I hadn't thought about it, but I had seen it, and I knew that AA existed, and I knew that it worked. That was my only contact with the program before going to the first meeting. I knew at that first meeting that I was alcoholic and that the treatment was AA. And I remember sitting there thinking, God, I wonder if this thing's a cult. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> and then I thought, well, I felt so bad that I don't care if it is a cult. <laughs> I don't care if they go out in the corner of Westwood and LaGrange and take off their clothes and pour Mazzola oil on. <laughs> like, that's a lot, you know. Uh, and it was a real joy to learn that AA consisted of working with steps. <laughs> I, I have a stubborn streak in me, and people tell me I'm a linear thinker. But, you know, screw that. That worked to get me into recovery. I knew I was alcoholic, and I knew the treatment was AA, and so that, that was it. I just started to go to AA meetings and was willing to do whatever AA recommended. Um, when I started going to meetings, my wife really thought I was crazy. <laughs> the idea that I should be alcoholic, she thought, was just nuts. <laughs> but that unmasked her own drinking. I was no longer her drinking partner. And trouble really accelerated a lot at that time. During my first year on the program, I went to as many Al-Anon meetings as I went to AA meetings. And I went through Al-Anon bottoms. Uh, separate from the, the changes of alcoholism in me. I found it a lot easier to be alcoholic than to live with an alcoholic. The Al-Anon side of me was a lot harder to deal with than my own alcoholism. It was a lot more painful, and the bottoms the, hurt a, a lot more. I feel very grateful to Al-Anon for a number of reasons. First of all, for getting me to the program, but then for sustaining me. I don't think I would have been able to stay sober, maybe, without the help of a lot of, a lot of Al-Anon. When I was a year sober, she, on my AA birthday, divorced me. <laughs> and uh, I was shocked and had a lot of feelings and all that, but it was, outside of getting sober, the best thing that happened to me. <laughs> um, Recovery for me was slow. The My first year on the program, uh, in retrospect, was really pretty difficult. At the time, it was so much better than what it had been before that I didn't really care. And I could feel improvement, and I could feel recovery occurring. And I, I all, all one needs to do is look around the program, and you can see where it's going. That feeling of hope sustained me, but I was depressed. I was really clinically diagnosably depressed. 
I was living in a lot of physical pain. And when I stopped taking pills, uh, the pain was there, and it was real. And I was taking pills at night so that I could sleep. Long after withdrawal, I had a hell of a lot of night pain, and um, I couldn't sleep at night. You know, six months, eight months, ten months, a year, fifteen months after I was on the program. But it wasn't withdrawal. It was uh, it was physical physical pain. I had a migratory polyarthritic syndrome. I don't know what caused it. I wonder in retrospect if it started with that accident. But I wonder if the drugs, if alcohol or if the diazepams that I used didn't aggravate it or perpetuate it or have something to do with it. And I hope someday we'll learn a little more about that. In recovery, for that first 15 months, I kept getting physically worse. I was living in a wheelchair, no longer taking any drugs except aspirin or aspirin-like drugs. And I had synovectomies, and they did help. But uh, it, it was really interesting. Physically, I was getting worse. My marriage was falling apart. Practice was difficult. But I kept feeling better and better. <laughs> It was, what, and there are these two things going on at the same time. The feelings of alcoholism or chemical dependency, the depression, the feelings of inadequacy, the hopelessness, all progressively diminished while I was getting worse. And I thought, clearly, there are two processes here. The, uh, the depression uh, associated with alcoholism was separate from the facts of life that I was living with at the time. It, it was really, really, a, it was a very interesting thing to watch my own head recover while my body got worse and while my world fell apart. At, at, um, I, I reached a point physically where one morning I got up and I couldn't, uh, I got out to the car on crutches and I got the key in the ignition, but I had too much arthritis or stuff going on. I couldn't turn it on. And that was a physical bottom for me. That was in January of 77. And I really, I, I got pissed off at God. Uh, I, I told him, you know, here you made me alcoholic. And you, you fixed it up so I can't take any drugs to relieve pain. <laughs> and now what am I supposed to do with this? I thought he was being very unreasonable. <laughs> and uh, really, really unfair. And I had a little chat with him about relieving me of my family. <laughs> and I also, you know, my youth was gone, and here I wouldn't be able to practice medicine anymore. I wouldn't be able to earn a living. And inside of myself, I said, what the fuck do you want? And the idea came back, um, everything. thought went through my head that, you know, the best thing that happened to you was being alcoholic. That got you into AA, uh, which... That is the most important thing that's happened to me in life. And the thought went through my head that, uh, okay, so you got a physical problem and you can't work. But ultimately, long term, maybe only good will come of that too. And for an instant, a surrender occurred. I don't think I have the power to surrender. I think surrender is a gift. I can be willing and I can want to surrender. 
but it just doesn't happen. Sur surrender sort of comes when it comes, and I, I don't think surrender is within my control. But a surrender occurred, and it was followed by gratitude, and I started to get physically better. And within a couple of weeks, I was walking, and I've been out of that wheelchair since then. Um, the I, I still had some difficulty, but nothing compared to what it was before, and I haven't had any more surgeries. Uh, so I think surrender might be good treatment for physical disease, at least sometimes. Yeah. In another sense, I think maybe I suffered as much physically as I had to until I learned whatever lesson we're supposed to learn. The pain is one thing, but suffering includes uh, includes a lot of fear. I, I think pain's a necessary part of life, but I don't think we need to really suffer. I I, I think that there is a difference. It's um, what happened to me that day was it became okay to have pain. It was sort of an oh fuck it, that's the way it is. Let's go on with it. See what happens next. That's not my fault. There's nothing I can do about it. Fuck it. And what I what I did before I would worry and and sweat out a lot. Will I have too much pain to work tomorrow? What will happen to me if I can't work? How can I support my family and all that kind of crap? All that fearful negative projection. I have a PhD in fearful negative projection. <laughs> the, uh, about that time, um, my mother was out here for a visit. She and I were estranged <clears throat> while I was drinking or using. As soon as I got sober, she reappeared in my life, as did the rest of my family. And uh, my brother Dennis was living in Wisconsin, and he had an argument with his girlfriend, and he, uh, in a blackout, drove down to O'Hare Field outside of Chicago and flew out. He got a ticket to Hawaii, and he was going to take a vacation. And he flew out here, came to and saw palm trees, and got off the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Discovered he was in Los Angeles, didn't have any baggage, and didn't have any money, and he panhandled a dime and called me. <laughs> And he he told me that he was really concerned about me that I'd become entirely too religious and he wanted to talk to me. <laughs> and this was also in the middle of the night. And I drove out and picked him up at the L.A. At International. And he um, talked to me all the way back, drunken stuff. And I became aware while I was going down to pick him up that maybe he was alcoholic. And then I had this awareness that something was about to happen, and I was going to just be allowed to watch it, and it didn't have anything to do with me. And he came, he went to a couple of meetings while he was at, stayed, uh, he stayed a weekend, and he found the program and got sober. Uh, he is now almost 10 years sober. And I think, for a long time, I thought that that was as good as life could get to be able to share the best thing that you had with your brother. Uh, but I've since learned that that's not as good as life gets. <laughs> it, it has kept getting better. Um, my brother and I then, Dennis, a year or so later, went and talked to my sister and 12-stepped her into Al-Anon. And um, a couple years later, her husband found the program 
recovery was contagious in my family. So now when we get together, it's really almost a meeting. It's uh, the AA, the program has brought us very close together. It's open communications, and it's it has been just a wonderful experience for the whole extended family. It's uh, been a real gift. Um, that's. I think I probably talked long enough. <laughs> um, life for me in recovery just slowly improved. The closer, the harder that I would work the steps, the better I'd feel. Peace and, and good feeling for me was just directly related to how much I was willing to apply the steps to my life. The, um, a couple of years ago, I, I went, let me share just one more thing. I went through a long phase of um, eight years of recovery living alone. I never thought it would be possible to have a relationship. Um, I decided that that was one thing God didn't intend that should happen to me, and I gave up. And then, you know, a, um, a few, few years ago, a wonderful thing happened, and a couple of months ago, Luana and I got married. And uh, I really feel very grateful, very grateful to be alcoholic, and very grateful to the program. And thank you for letting me share.